You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Brian, Calvary Chapel. So uh, good to be able to gather together through this medium. It's just so different. You might have uh, joined us on Wednesday for our special, you know, small group with the pastors. And you saw me there with uh, Sean and Pastor Kenny and Katie and Brian leading us. And actually, Wednesday, this past Wednesday was 20 years ago that Sean and I, you know, felt God call us from Fort Lauderdale to here, and she was pregnant with our first, and we, we moved here. And it's been kind of interesting because over the course of this last week, it's like the Lord has said, hey, remember when you got here? <laughs> it's just like that. It's you and your wife and no people. And uh, so, you know, it's been an interesting sort of scenario. But uh, wow, what, what times we're living in and uh, just, this is interesting, you guys, and I miss you. I just so much miss seeing your faces to be able to put a hug on your necks and, you know, just for us to be, you know, gathered together as a throng here in the house of God. But, you know, we're still gathered. You know, we're not gathered together, but we're still gathered under the banner of God's good goodness and his love and his kindness to us. And uh, so we continue to look up. We continue to allow him because he's the only one who knows what's coming ahead. But we look up while he navigates what's ahead. And uh, for that, I'm very, very grateful that he's the one that's at the helm here. So I'm going to cut right to the chase since I'm pretty sure I know what it is that's on your mind, on everyone's mind. And the title of this fifth message in our Impossible series is Desperate Times, Divine Measures. Desperate Times, Divine Measures. While sitting with one of my daughters earlier this week, she said, you know, Dad, this is so crazy. There's going to be days ahead that people are going to read about what it is that we're going through. And here we are sitting right in the middle of it. I thought that's so true. There was a day, you remember, in John chapter 6 in the life of the disciples where after a pretty tough teaching, the disciples noticed, Jesus noticed, that there were multitudes that were fleeing. They were turning. In fact, the scripture says that they turned and followed him no more. And Jesus turned to the apostles, to the disciples, and said, you guys want to go too? And of course, this is one of those times that Peter, you know, he was the first one always out of the gate, but this is one of those times he just got it so right. He said, Lord... To whom should we go? You guys want to go to? Where would we go? And I love this. And you have the words of eternal life. So church, where do we go in times like these? Where do we go when times get tough? The child of God goes to Jesus and his word. So you've got your Bible there. We're in 1 Kings chapter 17. And we're going to see again that tough times, though common, church, are no match for our God. The backdrop is divided Israel in the time of the kings. Judah is the southern kingdom with her capital there in Jerusalem. Israel is what we call the northern kingdom 
with its capital there in Samaria. Israel itself never had a good king. Judah had a few. But Israel, God's uniquely called and sort of, you know, uh, divinely blessed and gathered together nation, as it drifted from him, became sick spiritually, morally, and socially corrupt. And so our passage is going to teach us some really incredible things, valuable things about God, about man, and about life. Here we go. Now, kids, you're gathered together. We're gathered together sort of in a neat way. If you're like me, our whole family's been gathering together for church, and the little ones are there. And so what I'd like you little ones to do, kindergarten through fourth grade, I want you to listen. I don't want you to tune out. I don't want you to get bored. I don't want you to get fidgety like mine do. And I want, you, I want you to use that energy that you've got. And I want you to listen. I want you to listen to this biblical story. And I want you to draw your best depiction of it. It's a, fa- it's a fantastic story. And you guys are so incredibly creative. And so once you do, I want you to have your parents post your picture of this weekend's biblical story on Instagram. You can tag us at Calvary Chat. And, uh, and then we're going to actually have some winners. Yes, everything's a competition for me. So we're going to have a little bit of a competition. And uh, the, we're going to send out, we're going to have three winners. And uh, we're going to send out a special gift to you. So I, I'm, if you're like me, I wouldn't know what to do on Instagram. You can email us. In fact, you can email me. PF, PF, at calvarychat.com. Just take a snapshot of your precious little one's picture or, and, and, and email it to us and then... We'll announce the winners proudly, and uh, we'll, we'll, get, uh, we'll get something to you in the mail. So here we go. First Kings chapter 17, verse 1. The Bible says, And Elijah, the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Sadly, with Ahab at the helm, uh, idolatry was on the rise. The worship of Baal was gaining ground, so much so that the divinely instituted priesthood was replaced with prophets and priests of the false god Baal. The word on Israel's streets, like uh, INN, Israel's news network, had, had God, the, our founding God is dead, but Baal... Is alive. So God sends Elijah to Ahab with this word As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there's going to be no dew nor rain except at my word. <laughs> Listen, every trace of moisture is going to be supernaturally sucked from your atmosphere. Baal was allegedly the sky god and Worship, you know, for all that he could bring to men, you know, over, oh, he was over all the elements and all. And things in Israel are about to get dry, real dry. And often when God intervenes in the affairs of his world, it's to set the record straight on who's really in charge and, and who's really worthy of worship. And it's as if we can hear God say, you know, from the heavens, So let's see now, what do you really worship? And what do you really put your trust? What do you really hope in? What do you really, who, what do you really lean on? 
I love the way F.B. Meyer sets the stage on this. He says, it was a crucial time in the history of Israel. It looked as if the worship of the true God might be completely eliminated in the northern kingdom. The land swarmed with the priests of Baal and of the groves, proud of court favor, glorying in their sudden rise to power, insolent, greedy, licentious, and debased. The fires of persecution were lit and began to burn with fury. I love this. It was the old religion against the new, the child of nature against the effeminate child of the courts, camel's hair versus soft clothes, moral strength against moral weakness. I love it. Camel's hair versus soft clothing. Perhaps one great outcome of our present crisis may that God may bring out of this COVID-19, you know, desert an army of camel-clad folks, a grittier, shrewder, more culturally engaged kind of Christian. Perhaps Elijah had some softness that God felt needed to be toughened up a bit. Church, maybe true of you, maybe true of me too. Let's see. Verse 2, then, then the word of the Lord came to him saying, you know, then is so often when God speaks to us, and only after then, when we've done what God has asked us, then he'll come and bring us the next step, but typically not until then. Elijah had to deliver God's word to Ahab, and even at the risk of his own life, before the word of the Lord would come and lead uh, Elijah on to what was next. Then, when we obey, God shows us What's next? So, Elijah, now that you've delivered my word to Ahab, verse 3, get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan, and it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Bear with me. F.B. Meyer again. This is just so good. Through this, God taught Elijah the value of the hidden life. He had just become famous as an adversary of Ahab, so mighty that his prayers could stop the rain. And at that moment of his newfound fame, God wanted Elijah to hide and be alone with God. We must not be surprised then if sometimes our father says, there, child, thou hast had enough of this hurry, this publicity, this excitement. Get thee hence and hide thyself by the brook. Hide thyself in the cherith of thy sick chamber, or in the cherith of disappointed hopes, or in the cherith of bereavement or in some solitude from which the crowds have ebbed away. Welcome to the Cherith of COVID-19, y'all. I'm told Cherith means to cut, to cut away, to remove. Perhaps Elijah had some things that God wanted to remove, and God felt that the safest and the best place for this surgery to, 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 to occur was there in this quiet wilderness. We've been driven, haven't we? Like Elijah, to a cherith of our own. Could God be up to something similar in each of us, his sons and daughters, as he was perhaps with Elijah? You know, dry times and quiet times and isolated times are good times to have some things exposed that need to go. And notice, I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Then is often when God speaks. There is often where God meets our needs. There is exactly where it is that he's asked us to be. You know, Cherith would teach Elijah to trust in God's provision. 
His faith would be stretched and expanded. It would be broadened in an incredibly healthy way, but a truly unconventional way. You know, we say desperate times call for desperate measures, but I'm not so sure that we in the Western church have really fully subscribed to that idea. You can imagine Elijah saying, but ravens, Lord? This is exactly like uh, what we read not so long ago in our three-year reading in Acts chapter 10 when essentially God said to Peter, don't call anything dirty that I've called clean. He was speaking, God was in Acts 10, of the Gentiles, at least in Peter's mind, the Gentiles which were dirty to the Jews that was an unclean thing. Listen, ravens to the Jew were dirty birds and they made everything that they touched dirty. And Elijah, again, was a devout Jew. Perhaps a little religious piety was one of the things that needed to be cut away from Elijah at Cherith. I mean, (laughs) church, could God use a dirty bird on earth to provide for and to, 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 to do God's bidding and to protect his people on the earth? Could God use a dirty bird to do that? He could, if his people were big enough, broad enough of character and understanding, or, or listen, hungry enough to receive it. Verse 5, so he went and he did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. We're not told how long he had to practice social distancing and self-quarantine. James and Jesus tell us that this prayer of Elijah's actually brought a drought. It didn't rain for three and a half years. Had to be good enough. I like what we sang in the beginning today. Your grace is enough, far reaching down to us. It had to be good enough for Elijah to have God, to have God himself, to have God alone, while he waited for what it is that he knew not what. He didn't have all the answers. I loved um, Pastor Billy's insight. You know, now faith is on us. How faith is on our God. So verse 6, the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Fresh water from the brook, I guess, all day long, meat and bread two times a day. We wonder, you know, was the bread And the meat prepared, the bread would have to be, the meat we don't know. But while the drought ravaged the land, God provided miraculously for his own. A thrice-divorced Uber Eats driver with a questionable history brought this holy man his food. Verse 7. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain In the land, after a while, I guess as long as it takes for a brook to dry up, we imagine that as the days went on, Elijah could see that uh, like my hairline, the waters receded (laughs) daily, it seems. Perhaps he had stored up, you know, as much water as he could in his Nalgene water bottle. But eventually the brooks dried and the dirty Uber Eats driver ceased his delivery. Now, If the nation of Israel had in fact, as it appears that it was so, if they had in fact put all their trust in Baal, it seems here that the lesson had to become altogether apparent for Israel to learn her lesson. I mean, it's like often, often it has to get dry, like real dry. 
before we begin to see who and what we really worship, who and what we really put our trust in. We, we can say that calmly when there's still a little margin. But when it gets dry, real dry, bone dry, brook cherith, empty dry, then we start to see, then the revelation comes. Hmm. Verse 8, then the word of the Lord came to him saying, remember, then is when the Lord moves on our behalf, leading us on, but not until then. Speak to Ahab, then I'll tell you what's next. Go to Cherith, there is where I'll feed you. There is where I'll meet your need. Then I'll tell you what's next. We aren't told. We aren't told. We have no idea what happened out there in the beginning, in, in, out there in the wilderness by that brook. But maybe, maybe this God-fearing Jew, Elijah, may not have eaten any of that food for the first couple days. Like, I just can't do this. I just can't do this. You know, when that, when that dirty Uber Eats driver pulled up, he's thinking, no, not me. I'm a clean Jew. Not me. Oh, no, not my precious. No, not my not my holy soul. But when he finally got hungry enough, and when he finally got desperate enough, he compromised. He compromised with the dirty bird that God had provided. Maybe it's not until we in the West, we church people in the West, see how truly dire things are out there. I guess it'll take 4,000 babies a day that are aborted for us to finally wake up. I don't know. Maybe we'll get so desperate, we will long for at least some kind of righteousness on, on the earth. And maybe then, maybe then we can wisely and shrewdly and with some camel-haired grit maybe compromise our clean, precious souls with the dirty bird. So then, when he'd obeyed and stayed and was sustained at Cherith, then the word came. Verse 9, arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. Now, I can't help but think that the work that was begun in Elijah at the brook was still underway. Zarephath was Gentile country, and not only that, it was essentially Jezebel, Ahab's gnarly wife's hometown. Uh, you can talk about dirty birds, y'all. This, this, this girl, wow. And Elijah thought ravens and rivers were an uncommon, you know, uh, means to meet needs. Try a Gentile land famous for Israel's most infamous sicko, Jezebel. And then add to that the means there. And notice again, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. This whole thing had to be just blowing Elijah's mind like Jehovah Jireh was taking on an entirely different meaning to him. My impossible provider, Jehovah Jireh means my God shall supply. My, he's, my, he's my provider. My impossible provider in impossible places by impossible means. It was just, it was a revelation to Elijah. There, I'll provide for you. Then is when and there is where. Well, I'm sure, you know, Elijah must have thought, well, she's going to be a fantastically rich widow for sure. Take a look, verse 10. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and he, when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. 
And he called to her and said, please bring me a little water and a cup that I may drink. Now, you wonder, how could he tell that she was a widow? That's easy. She had a, ye- she had a yellow uh, 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 W uh, embroidered on her tunic. No, that's not the truth. He, he didn't know, likely didn't know that she was the one, but he just asked for some water. The brook's completely dried. The Nalgene water bottles are all completely empty. He's thirsty. He thirsts. And I think our hero was learning, if he had not learned, that you don't have to have all the details when you follow God. Just go and do what it is that God, go where you're told to go, do what it is that God has told you to do, and then it just unfolds as you go. I can remember like it was yesterday. 20 years ago this week, God told Sean and me, go to Chattanooga. And we came and we got here. We're like, well, you know, what now? Where in Chattanooga? I mean, we're here. Now what do we do exactly? We didn't get the whole plan. We really didn't get many of the details or any of the details in the beginning. We just did what he said do, and the rest came. Y'all, when we walk by faith, the rest will come. It'll come. Now, he's not sure she's the widow, but she is kind enough to give him a drink. And so here's where things start to get interesting. Verse 11, and as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. Now, we read over the sentence quickly, but it would be easy, just if you pause a moment, you can pick up on something that was really, really tender here and delicate. This is a Jewish man, a devout Jewish man. He's now no longer, and he's not in the north confronting the idolatrous north. He's now in, in pagan territory, Gentile land, and he has just asked a Gentile woman, not only for a little water, but now he goes on and asks for some bread too. So often, it is so hard to ask for a little help. Pride stops us. Pride stops us from asking for a little help. You have to imagine how hard it was for this Gentile man to actually acknowledge that he had a need and ask for help from this Gentile widow. It's often really, really hard to ask for help. But listen, when the margins are lean enough, we tend to find a way to get past the pride that's in us. When the margins are that lean, we can be helped up and over and beyond our pride. So she said, here's where it gets interesting, verse 12, as the Lord your God lives, she doesn't even acknowledge his God, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin, a little oil in a jar, and see, I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Bingo. Elijah thinks, there's my widow, only she's not rich. She's completely and altogether poor. The vessel Jehovah Jireh will use to meet my need isn't merely poor. She's abjectly poor. And we we think to ourselves, surely a woman in this financial condition has to be exempt from supporting the Lord's work on earth. That's what she's going to do. She's going to support God's man, God's ministry on the earth, and she's altogether dead. We think her extreme poverty has got to exempt her from playing any part of the kingdom of God on the earth. Verse 13, Elijah said to her, do not fear. 
Go and do as you have said, but, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me, and afterward make some for yourself and your son. So, so he now knows that she's the one. This is the one that God said that he'd provided for him. He's, he's figured it out. And notice he says to her first, do not fear. We've all been just sort of ruminating and cherishing that word, that, that idea that Billy, Pastor Billy brought to us, that you can find the phrase, do not fear, 365 times or more in the word of God. We wonder why. Well, because God knows that every single day we do, we fear so much, we fear so often. It's if, it's if he said, I've got a word for you today, a today word for you. Do not fear. Do not fear. He says to her that. And then, and then he says, now I want you to go and do what you've planned, only here's the rub. With the impossibly little that you have, Elijah, Elijah says, with the impossible little that you have, put me first. Go ahead. With, with the impossible that you've got, put me first. Bake me a little cake first, and then afterward, go back and make some for yourself and for your son. Maybe Elijah had learned that then, when we do what God has called us to do, is when God speaks to us. And there, when we get to where God wants us to be, is where he provides for us. Notice verse 14. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. You know, the whole thing is fascinating on many levels. God didn't provide for Elijah through or by a wealthy landover, a landowner with fat reserves, but an utterly destitute widow so hungry that she'd soon die. Of course, Elijah's lesson and hers and ours was and is that God is the provider. But isn't it interesting that often those that have so little are often so wonderfully generous? You know, when all you've got is a little flour and a little oil, you think, why not after all? Real desperation Real thinness, uh, lean, lean margins can actually make some real faith. Because listen, at the end of the day, we don't have anything else but faith. Verse 15 says, so she went away and she did according to the word of Elijah. And she and he and her household ate for many days. And just as God said, the bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. You know, faith typically shows up after all the world's resources essentially are seen for what they really are, altogether limited. That's when faith shows up. By faith, this widow's impossibly little with God went farther than anything else on the earth could. By faith. Her faith opened a storehouse to her that the richest of the rich knew nothing of on the earth. And evidently, the flour and the oil were provided daily. Like, you know, it, all of a sudden there wasn't just this, you know, deluge of oil and flour and they could store it up. Seems God wouldn't let them store it up. 
Even their toilet paper wouldn't let them store it up. Or ammunition. If you want an idea of like what's going to happen when things get bad, all the toilet paper is going to be gone, and everyone's going to be toting. That's what's, that's what's coming. But God wouldn't let them store it up. That way they could never fall into the trap of trusting in it instead of him. God promised to provide. She believed. Elijah too. And she was freed from hunger, death, fear, worry, and greed. And I would suggest a whole lot more. So what can we learn about God? I hope you little ones are still paying attention. I hope mom and dad, you can crowd them back in. Let them just sort of, you know, finish up their artwork. Try to make this sort of quick. But what can we learn about God? What can we learn about man? What can we learn about life? Number one, on God. Listen, church, you've got to hear it. On God, first, he's capable and he's committed to care for his own. God is capable and God is committed to care for his own. Church, we have never faced anything like what we're facing right now. But others have. In fact, I'd submit to you that others have actually faced far worse than what we're facing right now. But God and God is faithful. He takes care of his own. I put it to you this way. I think God takes it personally to take care of his own as if it would look bad on him if he couldn't actually come through and take care of his own. God takes it personally. I've actually talked to some business owners that I know and love that have had to lay off people. And as I've talked to those business owners, you know, literally they've said one of the hardest days of my life was the other day I had to let go of all these people. And, he's, and it's what he said, I love those people. I love them. And he's a good man, a precious man. Well, listen to me. If that's how a man feels about laying off his people, how much more do you think God looks on and says, you're mine, I chose you, I'm your provider. I think God takes it personally. I, I know he does. If men do, God does. God's capable, number one, and committed to care for his own. Number two, on God. Listen, that you say, well, how? How can he care for his own? How is he going to meet my need right now? How, how are we going to do it? Listen, this answer is how. God has extraordinary means to meet our impossible needs. Ravens, rivers, widows, destitute widows. God has a plethora of heavenly couch cushions to look under to meet our needs when the time comes. Desperate times call for divine measures. And so I just, I just, I just exhort you, whoever you are, whatever it is you're facing, and I'm not trying to make light of what you're facing. Listen, look up. Look up. Our God has extraordinary means to meet our impossible needs. And if you find yourself facing something that just feels altogether impossible, look up. Because Jehovah Jireh is your profound, supernatural provider. He's capable and committed. He's extraordinary means. Number three, now this is where it gets a little heavy. Listen, he's promised provision, not prosperity. He's promised us to provide. He's not he, every one of our needs, but not everything that we want. He's promised provision, not prosperity. If I understand the passage right, out there by the brook, there was meat 
There was bread. There was water. He gets into the land of Sidon, and the meat's turned off. We don't have any recollection. We have no knowledge that the, that the meat, like, you know, I provided out there in the wilderness was great. But now that you're in Sidon, and you got the, you're going to have a little bread and a little water. A little bread and a little water, a little bread and a little water. But I'm going to provide. He's promised provision, but not prosperity. Now, let me read something to you that actually Pastor Eric unpacked for me some years ago. I've never been able to get it out of my mind. We love Philippians 4.19. Listen to it. We love this. We love this. Listen. And my God, he says, and my God, Paul says, shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And we love Philippians 4.19. But we may not, we may not be aware of the context of Philippians 4.19. See, if you go back beforehand, here's what Paul's saying. You have partnered with me in God's ministry on the earth. Whenever you had opportunity, you did so. You guys were so ready. You guys were so ready. And in a sense, he's saying this. Because you were generous with what God was doing through me, he says, and my God, my God is now going to supply your needs. That's the context. So then if we haven't been generous, if we haven't been about the things of God on the earth, it's worthy of consideration. He promised provision, not prosperity. But he's promised. Secondly, on man. What can we learn about man? Number one, then and there is where and when, excuse me, is when and where God will speak to us and provide for us. Then and there. When we've obeyed what he said, and we, when, we, when we're where he's told us to be, disobedience and, 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 and not being in the right place can, can, can be very, very quiet as we don't get any more instruction and can be very, very lean. Because he said, listen, I'm going to provide for you there. God could have provided for him anywhere in the wilderness, but he said, right there by the brook, right as it flows into the Jordan, right there is where I'm going to provide for you. And uh, Elijah was wise enough to go, you know what? I'm going to obey by faith, and I'm going to get right there. And that's where the provision is. Then and there is when and where God will speak to us and provide for us. Number two, this is heavy. Listen, our limited resources does not exempt us from playing a part in God's work on the earth. Elijah was God's man on the earth. He was God's minister on the earth. He was for all practical purposes, you know, the ministry of God on the earth in a, in a dark, dark time. And God came to an altogether destitute widow and said, I want you to fund, I want you to provide for my ministry on the earth. And, and, I'm, and I've got to believe that right now, each of us is far, far, far better off than she. I don't think anyone's going home today I don't think anyone's going home today and going, I'm going to take a little, a little oil and a little, and a little bit of flour, and I'm going to, me and my, me and my, we're going to bake a little bit of bread, and we're going to eat it, and then we're going to die. I don't think that's the case. Our limited resources does not exempt us from playing a part in God's work on the earth. Number three, faith and humility are required for God's provision to come. Faith and humility We'll see it again soon, but for Elijah, both great faith and great humility were present for the provision to come. He had to step out and believe God and do, uh, you know, put himself in some pretty unconventional places 
He had to humble himself to tell this widow, hey, could you help me? And the widow demonstrated amazing faith. Take the little tiny bits that you've got, make sure you put Elijah first. But faith and humility are required for provision to come. So that's some things that we've learned about God, some things that we learn about man. And now, finally, some things that we learn about life. Number one, number one, listen. Lean margins. Lean margins are great for faith. Lean margins are great for faith. Now, none of us want this. None of us want to be where we are right now. None of us want to be facing what it is that we're facing right now. None of us would choose what it is that we're facing right now. But it's nothing to be feared because lean margins can do wonders for our faith, which the Bible says is far more precious than gold. And let me submit to you real quick. Faith can bring to us what all the gold in the world can't. Lean margins are great for faith. Number two, lean margins reveal what and who we really trust in. We say we trust in God. We do. We say boldly we trust in God. But then the 401k takes a massive hit. We lose our jobs. And listen, I'm not making light of any of this. I'm not making light of any of this. I'm not trying to put anybody down. But we say we trust in God. And then it dries up. And when it's dry, really dry, when it's hard, really hard, what and who we really trust in gets revealed. Lean times are revealing times. They really are. And finally, <laughs> lean margins can help us get past pride. For Elijah to come hungry and thirsty as he was, to Sidon, to Jezebel territory, to a woman for a Jew widow, and say, I need a little help. That was so extraordinarily humbling, but God gives grace to the humble. So often, it's just so hard to ask for help. But listen, lean margins have a way of helping us get past our pride. And I want to add to something Brian said earlier. If you, no matter who you are, yes, we're divided by time and we're divided by, you know, local government, national restrictions to gather. But listen to me. We aren't one church because we get to gather weekly in one place. We're one church because one pure holy blood was shed for us that we might be one. And I just got to tell you that our heart is for you. We, we desire to reach out to you. We, we care. But listen, we won't have a chance to help if you won't let us know that you've got a need. The widow would have gathered her sticks and gone on about her business. Nothing supernatural or divine would have taken place. 
Elijah would probably still be. So here's the thing. Don't have a need and not let us know. Don't, don't have a need and not let us know. We're, we're believing, listen, the Lord's our provider, and he's got means, he's got ways, he's got, he's got uh, resources that we don't know anything of. You, and we just want to walk by faith together. Church, God cares. He cares, and he can be trusted. And trusting in him is the safest and the wisest thing we can do now and always. And if life teaches us anything, it's that God is greater than anything that life can bring our way. Amen. Father, we do love you because you first loved us. We do thank you that you see what we face, and not from a distance. You are very, very near. You're the ever-present help in the times of our trouble, and these are troubling times. You know what we're facing. You know what every single person right now who hears what it is that we've just shared, what it is that you've just shed light on, what it is that you've just disseminated to us for our good and our comfort and our hope and our faith. We've learned some great things about you, God, that we need to be reminded of. We've learned some great things about us. We've learned some great things about life. Desperate times call for divine measures. God in heaven who controls the ravens, the winds, the rains, the grains, the storehouses, the widows, the waters, the earth, the seas, the skies, and everything that's in them. We really don't have to know how. We just have to know who. <laughs> we would never choose a time like this, none of us. This, it's just against our nature, it makes no sense. But we're here. And sometimes when we're here like this, we get to see things we get to experience things. We get freed from things that have got too much of a hold upon us. Thank you for your mercy. It's new every single morning. Be merciful to us, oh God. Your grace is enough. There's no soul you can't save, no mountain. Lord, we've got a mountain of a virus and an economic mountain that's threatening us. There's no, there's no mountain you can't completely remove. No sin you can't forgive. No deficit you can't overcome. 
Thanks for dwelling in this place. Thanks for dwelling with us in our homes. Thanks for the new things that you're doing in these, in this cherith of COVID-19. We're looking up. We're looking to you. It's the wisest, safest thing to do always. And all God's people all over this city and beyond say together, amen and amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Frank Ramsour. If you enjoy the message, you can learn more about Pastor Frank's ministry by visiting calvarychat.com. That's calvary, C-H-A-T-T dot com.